0: Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Keyboardist. I'm Amy Frederick, and I'm here today with John Ross. Hi, John. Hello. Welcome.
1: Hello.
0: <laughs> nice Glad to be here.
1: Well, thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> thank Appreciate you. It.
0: Thanks for doing it. Well, of course. Um, it, it's it's um, it's a middle of January, 2020, mm-hmm. and I just it's going to be a free for all today, y'all, because we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what's going down in this year. This year, my um, I think you're my second episode in 2020. Okay. So tell me what's going on with you. What's, what
1: would what's, you like to know?
0: Uh, what's the latest as far as like um, gigs or interesting music uh, happenings in your world? Are you writing any good songs or?
1: Well, I think they're all good, but you know <laughs> we'll have to let the audience decide. <laughs> Uh, what What's good and what's not. It, it's interesting that you bring that up as a first thing, because as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to the recording studio to lay down some vocal tracks for another couple of songs I'm going to be releasing, one in February and one in March. Okay. I've been, I've been releasing a song a month since last January, 2019. Interesting. Um, and actually, it's really designed for my Patreon patrons. They get a new song every month uh, as as part of their benefits. Right. And I have written so many songs over the last several years that I decided, you know, instead of keep just keep writing, it's time to start actually laying these songs down and actually getting them out there. So that's what I started doing last January. So I have quite a back catalogue of material.
0: Interesting. Every part of the task of writing a song is a huge undertaking, isn't it? It is.
1: It is. But you know, some of it... Do you, do you write songs yourself? I have, yes. So you know. Some songs come easier than others. Sure. Some songs, the words just come. Right. And then you sit down and you're like trying to pluck out a melody to go with and sometimes it just doesn't happen. And then other times you've got a great melody and then you got to think of words that are going to fit. Right. But then, you know, in that case, there's nothing wrong with keeping some songs instrumental, too. Mm-hmm. And even I forget about that sometimes. And I love instrumental music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that may, that may occur. I've got some musical ideas that might just end up being in fully instrumental pieces and not ever have lyrics. But I also have I have a whole book with like 100 set, complete sets of lyrics that all need melodies to go with them. Okay. So I've got enough content to put out a song a month for like 10 years
0: goodness gracious. Yeah.
1: So I decided last year it was time to get busy.
0: Do you write lyrics more easily or music more easily? I guess that, that, is, that sort of answers the question, doesn't it? You, you're, you have more lyrics than melodies. For
1: right now. But I still have... I have so many files on the computer of just little musical snippets that okay. I've put down.
0: So it's more a matter of just matching the two. Finding a finding the matching pair.
1: Sometimes. Sometimes. I can tell you with one song in particular... I did that. It was the one that I released a year ago called The Road Less Traveled. It was the first song on the EP that I released last summer. And um, I had come up with what I thought was a really cool chord progression. The musical idea came first, in other words. So I had this, what I thought was this really cool chord progression. I could play it here sure, for, if you in a moment. if, if yeah. you want to. Yeah, if you want to hear it. Absolutely. Um, Can you get to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Now, when I wrote it, I was like, well, this is the coolest chord progression ever written. Well, it's probably not, but in my opinion, it was. It's like something like... some other music to go before and after that and then so i just had this track sitting there and then i had these words for the road less traveled which was actually i got that idea from you know the robert frost poem the road not taken
0: absolutely that's made all the difference
1: yes so that's was the inspiration for my song the road less traveled and so that chord progression ended up becoming like the pre-chorus Okay. And then I wrote new music around, around it and then ended up with a song. So that's how that one evolved.
0: Okay. It sounds prog rock.
1: little bit. I have a huge prog rock background.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I love prog rock.
1: I do too. It's probably my favorite, If my my default go-to. Like when I can't think of something else to listen to and I'm in a mood to listen to music. hmm which, believe it or not, as a musician, I'm not actually always in the mood to listen to music. I understand that. Sometimes there's nothing like the silence <laughs> and solace of a quiet car ride.
0: Mm-hmm. I believe agree.
1: it or not. Um, I'm with you. <laughs> but but um, if I can't think of anything else to listen to, I'll go back to my old Genesis. Okay. And, and, and Rush and Yes and all, the, all that proggy stuff. Yes. From back in the day.
0: Yes to yes.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: Affirmative. <laughs> indeed,
1: indeed. Mm. So. Um, okay, cool. But yeah, so sometimes, sometimes you know, I'll match up lyrics with a with a preconceived uh, musical idea that I've already laid down, and then sometimes I'll lay down lyrics, and then a musical idea will come that just seems to fit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For example, I wrote a song. I've written a song for each of my kids. Um, to commemorate their birth. And uh, with my second born, embarrassingly enough, it actually took me a while to finish her song. It wasn't until six years after she was born that I actually finished her song. It might have been even longer than that. I'm almost embarrassed to say. But I finally, you know, fleshed out the lyrics. And then this lick came to me when I started thinking about what kind of music would sound good with this song, this lick just sort of popped into my head. Uh... And so I had that swimming around in my head for a long time. And then finally when I sat down and made it a point, okay, I'm going to put music to this song. I started with that and then I just looked at the lyrics, I had a lyric sheet in front of me, and then just started, I, I went with that, and then used that as the basis to for the next chord progression. And I went through probably three or four different possible melodies and chord progressions before I ended up with the finished product.
2: Okay.
0: Does that stuff pop into your head, or do you p- fill it out on piano, or both? Both. Okay. Yeah. So you sort of hear it, and you go to the piano and start noodling around until you find what...
1: Yeah. yeah, or like, you know, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll come up with a melody that seems to fit the words and, in you know, the rhythmic structure of, of the phrase. Um, and in the case of that one, which is called Life's So Colorful, um, what I came up with initially ended up being quite um, trite, actually. Like pretty, like straight, you know, one, four, not totally one, four, five, one, but, but it was cliche enough that I didn't like it. I was like, well, this makes too much sense. And I can't write music that makes sense. What I mean by that is, like, I cannot just write a song based on three chords. I just don't have it in me. <laughs> and a lot of songs nowadays, as I'm sure you've heard, they, they seem to favor, like, either just, like, one, four, five, or... One, six, two, five, or, you know, the same three or four chord progression. And, like, there's no difference in the chorus than there is in the verses. Right. Well, as a trained musician, that bugs me. Because it's like, there's so many more things you can do with this. Why do you have to stick with it? And I understand, you know, if that's what's, you know, commercially successful, then fine. Right. That's not the game I'm playing, though. It's like, I can't write a song that's that straightforward. Now, I say that. I probably have some that are like that. But um, there's still enough, I think, and again, not to toot my own horn, but I feel like there's enough interest in my songs that there's still, even if the chord progression is formulaic, there's enough other stuff going on, either with the arrangement of the song or the instrumentation of the song or even just the melody goes enough different places that it's not the same repetitive thing over and over again. Right. So I don't know if I answered the question. Right, yeah. but
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, did you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like every song's different. That's the answer.
1: Pretty much. And if you, sometimes if you,
0: they land in unexpected ways.
1: Yeah. And,
0: yeah. Uh, it's like it just it tells the song tells you what to do.
1: A lot of times that's true. Yeah. A lot of times that's true, and and also like if you listen to. Both of my albums, you'll find that every song is a different style. You know, and I struggle with this all the time. You know, people want always want to know what kind of music you make. You know, because you, you have to put that in your bio or somebody asks you. And I have the hardest time with that because I don't feel like I fit any one particular category. So a lot of times I'll just tell people it's 80s inspired singer-songwriter piano rock. But even that doesn't always seem to cover all the bases. (laughs) Right? Because I've been compared to several different artists not always related. Like I just a couple of weeks ago I was talking to a friend of mine who heard the road less traveled and said it reminded him of Christopher Cross. Never been compared to Christopher Cross before, but I'll take it. You know what I mean? You know, I mean the obvious Billy Joel Elton John. Choices come up, but I had one song that somebody thought it reminded him of John Lennon. Um, I've been compared to Ben Folds. Um, you know, my my hero, you know, growing up was was Phil Collins.
2: Okay. You
1: know, and so you can hear some of that in my work as well. Not always doesn't always come out as prevalent as some of the others, just because mm-hmm. you know you tend to gravitate towards the piano playing people. Yes. Joe Jackson's another cat that I like a lot too.
0: Yes, yes.
1: I, no one's ever compared me to him, but he's definitely an influence. Yeah, of mine for sure. Yes, but
0: um, it, it's
1: it's odd. So it's hard for me to categorize myself that way.
0: I bet. I, yeah, I, I don't like doing that.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah.
0: Well, do you? I tell you what. Let's go back. Yeah, and then we'll pick all. The, we'll come back and pick all this up again. Um, where are you from?
1: Okay, I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois.
0: Okay. And did you grow up there?
1: I grew up there. Yes. Okay. Um, was born in the city when my parents. Uh, Scrap. When I was when I was three, my parents moved us to the suburbs. So I grew up in a in a suburb very close to Skokie. There, uh, yeah, my words are getting all twisted around. Skokie was a suburb I grew up in, uh, which is on the near north side of of Chicago. So okay. it's like you'll have Skokie, Lincolnwood, and then all of a sudden you're in the city. Okay. Not necessarily downtown, but within the Chicago city limits. I mean, the city's huge, so... Yeah. Um, you could be in Chicago and not be downtown. Sure. What you think of with all the tall skyscrapers and everything, but...
0: Is that near Northwestern?
1: Yeah, North because University? the next next town uh, ab- above and to the east of Skokie is Evanston, and that's where Northwestern University is.
0: Okay, yes. All right.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in, in the Chicago suburbs, basically, and... Um, Went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign for undergraduate school.
0: Okay, Yeah, familiar with that. Yeah. That's a good music school.
1: That's a great music school.
0: Is that where you went to? Did you do music school?
1: I did. Um, I did music education there. Um, That's a story in and of itself, too, because when I was in high school, you know, my lifelong dream and passion at the ripe old age of 17 was I wanted to be a rock star. But my problem was I listened to too many other people telling me that, oh, you should do something practical so you have something to fall back on. Well, unfortunately, the fallback became the career. And, um, and what made that even more unusual was I didn't actually enter music school from the get-go. I actually entered the engineering school because I had this bright idea that, um, wouldn't it be cool to f- learn how to design synthesizers?
0: Yeah, it would be. It would
1: be but i didn't bother to research that i didn't know the first thing about what kind of college degree that you even needed to get into that field so i just figured electrical engineering was the way to go i don't know that that was necessarily the case looking back on it <clears throat> might have been more along the lines of electronics engineering which is a which i found out is a different ball of wax than electrical okay engineering but i didn't last very long in that program anyways because as soon as i got to campus and Started playing in the band and, and meeting all my friends that were music ed majors. I'm like, well, that sounds like fun. Maybe I'll learn how to become a band director.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's actually what I did.
0: Okay. Well, you did you take piano lessons as a kid?
1: I did. 11 years.
0: 11 years of piano. 11
1: years of piano. Yep. Okay.
0: So um, traditional, classicals. based? Yes,
1: classically trained. Okay. classically trained and
0: then like um, did you do all the guild and the, and all those kinds of festivals and competitions and things like that <laughs> I did I, I ask everybody these kinds of things yeah
1: well now we didn't have anything that we called guild
0: okay. I, I'm
1: still not totally quite sure what that even is um, but I went to this place called Music Center of the North Shore in Winnetka, Illinois and, and they it was another suburb north of where I even I was living so okay. like several towns north of Skokie um is, it's still along, you know, close to Lake Michigan there on the east side, but, but it was way north of where I lived. Anyway. Okay. Um, but um, they had performances there. We do recitals there, and, and they're, they're, I think they had their own teachers association that sponsored a contest. Probably so. Yeah, because I still have the trophy I got in 1985, where I actually got a first prize award. It's the Sweet. only time I've ever done that. I don't even remember what the hell piece I played. <laughs> I just have this trophy sitting there—the one award that I got. Okay. You know, from all those eleven years. Did
0: you have the same teacher? This, I did. The eleven years. Yep, I did. Um, what kind of person? I mean, like um. Just a neighborhood piano teacher or yeah, she lived university in, teacher? Or? No,
1: she, she lived in Highland Park, Illinois, which is another one of those nor, okay. uh, northern suburbs. And her name was Elaine Felder, and um, she was really good. And she would actually host recitals in her house. Okay. She had a room off to the side of her house where she had two grand pianos in there. And so all of her private students, she would host recitals in her house. Okay. And that was kind of neat. Even though, like, our lessons were at the music school... Um, some rec- I remember doing some recitals at the music school and then some recitals at her house.
0: Okay. What was the name of the music school?
1: That was the music center in North Shore.
0: Okay, all right.
1: There in Winnetka. Gotcha.
0: So uh, you're playing a piano 11 years. Did you do yeah. pop stuff too? Rock and roll? Uh,
1: very little. Believe it or not, I had to learn that on my own.
0: Uh, well, everybody does? Just yeah. There. Just about. Just yeah. about everybody. I
1: had to learn that, learn the rock stuff on my own.
0: Okay. Who are your favorite composers? Can you remember? Any pieces that you play that you really you, you might still play today?
1: Rhapsody in Blue.
0: Okay, Gershwin.
1: Gershwin. Yeah, that was the last major piece I played before I quit lessons. Okay. And I'll still pull that out and play it.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So then you start teaching yourself. Did you start getting in bands as a keyboardist at some point? Or...
1: Yeah, that took a
0: while. Okay, yeah. Actually. I um that. So, so then okay. So let's just skip. So anybody else in your family is a musician?
1: My my uh, maternal grandfather was a piano player.
2: Okay. And I
1: think that's where I got it from. All right. My mom uh, did a little piano. Uh, she sang more than she did did piano. So she's got a she's got a pretty good singing voice. Yeah. But she didn't do much with her singing until after me and my brother were grown and out of the house. And she had more free time. Okay. Um, but it's not... I mean, other than that, um, it wasn't the most musical family. I mean, my grandfather, like I said, he was probably the one that... I mean, he would he would perform. And I think... He's passed now, so I can't ask him. But um, I, I think when he was younger, he played... F- entertained for money. I, I know when when, him and my grandmother would uh, snowbird themselves down to Florida for the winter time. He would play for functions that they'd have in the uh, condominium complex that they lived in over there. And cool. So he 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 was the musical bone in the family. Okay. Um, I don't know anybody else in my family other than, so my my paternal grandfather. Who. Died before I was born. I found out that in, like, the 30s, he did some radio. Okay. Um, but I don't know that he was a musician of any of any kind. So my, my maternal grandfather is the only mus- real musician that I know that was in my family. Got gotcha. you. Even extended family. I don't know anybody in my extended family that... I'm I, 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 kind of a black sheep that way.
0: Okay. Your brother's not taking piano lessons either?
1: No, he did. Um, mm-hmm. When we were growing up, he took some lessons, but he didn't pursue music as a career. He can still play some things. I know he took up the guitar for a while as well, and so he can still, he can get around musically. He took some guitar lessons, and matter of fact, I think he he still has my old drum kit.
0: Okay. (laughs)
1: From when I was in high school.
0: So you did, so were you in the marching band? I was. What did you play? Drums. Drums, okay, makes sense. And were you in jazz band and things like that too? I was. Okay, so um, choir?
1: That's my one regret, was not doing choir. I wish I would have.
0: Most of the time, you know, you don't have time to do both. They'll make you pick.
1: Yeah, well, I was lucky. You know, I went to a school in... um, Where where I went to school, it's not like how they do it here, where you only have, like, certain amount of periods a day, and, and, like, a lot of the schools here, they call it block scheduling.
0: Yeah. Where the
1: kids will have, like, four classes a day for, like, 90 minutes each. We didn't have that. Our school schedule was really unique, where... The school day was divided into 15-minute increments that they call mods or modules, I guess. And you either your classes were either three mods long or four mods long. Most of the time, your advanced classes, your science classes, or your AP classes were like four mods, and then your regular classes were were, were three mods. So, and you could fit eight or nine classes in your school day. So, my senior year, I had room. I could have done choir, but I chose to be on the yearbook staff instead. Gotcha. Looking back, I wish I would have done choir instead. But yeah. you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, <laughs> as we as we all know.
0: But you marched.
1: And I marched, and I marched concert band too. And concert band. Yeah. Well now see the first the first couple months of the school year was marching band.
0: Okay. Yeah. During
1: class Football season. and after school. It wasn't my band director didn't move marching band to totally extracurricular until several years after I graduated. He eventually made that move
2: mm.
1: and, and made his marching band volunteer
2: mm-hmm.
1: after school only. But while I was in the band, it was still required that everybody be in the marching band. And so, like, for August, September, and October, that, that's what we did. We didn't start concert season until, like, October and getting ready for the holiday concert. Sure. Yes. Um, but that so. So that was high school, and of course, college is different. They're all separate.
0: Right. So you, you end up going to the University of Illinois. And they did. And you're majoring in electric electric engineering, electrical engineering
1: for like a month. Um,
0: my, oh, <laughs> really?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Actually, less than that. You know, I. Um, you joined
0: the marching band as soon as you got there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, instant friends.
1: Right. One mm-hmm. big party. Hundred instant friends, or yes. in our case, like three hundred, because we had a huge band over there. Yes. But, yeah, not that I knew all 300 of them, but you get the idea. Absolutely. It is. It's like one big party. hmm Good times.
0: I did it as well. Oh, yeah? What did you play? <laughs> um. Well, okay, so when I marched, I only marched one year, and that was my freshman year. I was actually just playing cymbals. Okay. Which I'm, you know, I'm a flutist, actually. Oh, and you after are? I high school. I played flute. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't even know why. They may have just needed somebody. Maybe. And I probably just said, sure, why not? I'll do it. And so, yeah, I marched cymbals.
1: That's great. That's great. It made me mad when a lot of the colleges and drum corps started getting rid of their cymbal lines. Mm, I didn't know that. It yeah, it's it had been going on for years. There's still there's still a few bands and chords out there that still have their cymbal line. Yeah. But most of them moved their cymbals to the pit. I'm like,
2: really? It You're can just be true. missing tricky.
1: out on, that, on, that, on that, <laughs> that quality, that timbre of the cymbals being in there. Oh. I don't know. I, I'm a little bit of a purist when it comes to some of that stuff. It sounds
0: but. like, yeah, it sounds like you kind of have the heart of a drummer
1: a little bit. I, I, I do have the heart of a drummer, big time. How cool
0: is that? Big
1: Big time. That was, you know, my... My, my, my main bag is, is I, I sing and I play piano and I play drums. And I, I'm probably almost as much of a drummer as I am a keyboardist. Though I play keyboard a lot more these days than I do drums. I haven't done a gig on drums... Other than one Soul Vibes show that I had one song on drums last year.
0: I did not realize that. Yeah. And But if I think about it, I think you've told me that before. Yeah. You know, there's some really f- phenomenal drummers that, who play piano really well, too. Oh, yeah.
1: Like, yeah, there's tons. And vice versa.
0: Yes. Yeah. It seems uh, like it's uh, transferable a bit.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and so uh, going through school, so I had private piano lessons on the side, uh, when it came to like school music in elementary school, I actually started on violin. Okay. It wasn't until that was fourth grade. And then I didn't start percussion until sixth grade.
2: Okay. So
1: my cousin on my mother's side, my cousin, Joey, he had a drum set at his house. And so we'd go over there every now and then, and I'd play on the drum set. I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. So finally, after a couple of years on violin, I'm like, you know, I I'd rather be playing drums. So I, I did both for that year and decided after that it was I was going to be a drummer. I okay. gave up the violin and then just stay with percussion.
0: Interesting. And I
1: was percussion all the way up through high school.
0: So in college, do you play all. What's that like? You each piece you're playing some different part.
1: Yeah, pretty much. You rotate around. So you might have snare drum on something and then bass drum and then mallets or timpani or even accessories. There's so many percussion accessories out there. It's Ridiculous. Right. And you got to know how to play them
0: all. Yes. It's nerve wracking to know that you've got like one hit on measure sixty four, beat three and a half.
1: (laughs) And you lose count. Yes, that happens. (laughs) It does happen. Yes. It it does happen, and it is very nerve wracking.
0: I feel for the percussionists, you know. And when I watch them, they just everyone, you know, is very intense. They just they they don't you know I don't see them moving their mouth, but I mean inside the brain must be just like five six.
2: Seven.
1: If you know the, yeah, it's one thing if you know the piece well enough, but when, when you get new music and you're, and you're learning it for the you know, first or second time and you have a situation where you have to count hundred measures of rest or whatever, it's like, yes. you know, and if your band director is not the most forgiving person on the face of the earth, which my symphonic band director in college was that way. Um, it's very nerve wracking because if you missed a cymbal crash or something like that, he would ream you out in front of the whole band. Oh yeah, it was not fun. Yeah. So yeah, you you had to be on your game, and you know it happened to the best of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. You know,
1: um, what can you do? <laughs> yes. yeah. So, um,
0: so are you playing? Um, you're, so you're playing kit. Did anybody help you with that, or are you just picking it up by yourself?
1: Mostly self-taught. I took like a semester of, of lessons in my sophomore year in high school from a local drum teacher. I learned a few things. Um, but I was mostly self-taught on okay. the drum set. Yeah. Who are your
0: biggest influences on drums?
1: Um, well, you know, you got to go with Phil Collins, okay. for sure. And um, Neil Peart, who unfortunately just passed a week ago. Yes. Um, definitely among the influences. Uh, prob- those are probably the, the two biggest ones, okay. uh, if I if I had to narrow that down. I mean, there's so many drummers out there. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, are you just listening to recordings or watching videos or both or
1: now or back then? Well, back then. Be- um, yeah, it was just playing along with re- with records and gotcha. tapes. Gotcha. Um, and CDs when those came around. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of times I would make my own mixtapes. And then throw the Walkman on and sit behind the drum set and just play along to all my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I learned to do it. Yes. And just listening. I I had I was blessed to be born with a really good ear. And, you know, with, with the musical training that I had, I could figure out what everybody was doing. Right. Yeah.
0: Good ear for timbre or for pitch or both?
1: Both. Okay. Yeah, I have perfect pitch.
0: And so, you don't know how that happened. When did you realize that you had that?
1: Um, someone probably told me I did. It might have been my elementary classroom music teacher. who might have figured it out. Okay. I don't know. It, it. I don't remember any, any one instance where somebody actually took me aside and said, Guess what you have? I'm like what, do I have a tumor or something? No. <laughs> right.
0: It's, it's, I mean, for most people that I've talked to that do have that, um, they don't know how in the world, you know, they just have it.
1: Yeah. I don't know it's how just, it came about.
0: Okay.
2: So it's I don't know if it's something
1: you're born with or, or you develop it at an early age. I don't know how that all works. Mm-hmm. I think there's other people way above my pay grade that are responsible for figuring out their crap. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I just know I can hear a note and I can tell you what it is and I can hear it in my head and Gotcha. You know, I can listen to music and I can tell exactly what they're what they're playing and duplicate it. It's, yes, it's a it's a good skill to be able to have. So you know, it makes learning learning parts pretty easy. Yeah, definitely puts me at an advantage.
0: I'm sure. Um, when you're at college, then so you're you're basically marching band, and you realize I'm going to major in music. Like, yeah, oh, it, I'm going to change my degree.
1: Yeah, within like the first couple weeks of freshman year, I was like, oh, this 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 looks like fun. That doesn't look like so much fun. So I'm going to quit that and do this. Gotcha. They wouldn't officially let me change my major until after the semester happened. But I was able to switch my classes. Yeah. To... To... Um, Meet the requirements of the music ed degree. Oh,
0: wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's,
1: they let me do that.
0: It's amazing that you, you were able to take care of that right off the bat.
1: Yeah, otherwise, I would have <laughs> set myself back a semester. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it, it all came out fine in the wash.
0: Okay, so did you spend four years there? Four basically? years, yeah. Okay. So three and
1: a half years on campus and then a semester student teaching.
0: That's right. And to be a band director? To be
1: a band director. Okay,
0: and you, you graduated and became a band director? I did. Where did, where did you teach?
1: I taught in um, Illinois, a couple suburbs of Chicago. And then um, after doing that for four years, I went to graduate school at the University of Kansas. Wow. And um, got a degree in conducting. Okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah. Oh, I was on that path. Yeah. I was on that path. And then um, I got that degree, and then I taught for...
0: When you say that path, band directing, I was on that was or orchestral yes. or band. Okay.
1: Yeah right. i i had it, I had it in my head that I was going to retire a band director. Okay. But what ended up happening was I ended up with a a succession of jobs that just did not work out for me at all, for one reason or another. And I, I don't want to go into a whole lot of the specifics on those here, but. Um, just suffice it to say, I was not happy. Okay. You know, I, I taught for a grand total of fifteen years in Ooh. the public schools.
0: Total uh, fifteen s- years. Yeah, wow. scattered
1: between Illinois, Missouri, and Tennessee. Oh wow! And I was just not happy there, and it took me forever to figure out why. And finally, it occurred to me that's because I was not really living my passion, which was to be a creator and a performer. I, I had chosen the safer path. And it wasn't fulfilling. Yeah, I mean the concerts were great. You know, that was fulfilling. You know, and it's not that it's not fulfilling, you know, to teach another person how to do music. Sure. I mean that's fulfilling in its own way. But just from an overall standpoint, I was there was a hole in my soul somewhere. You know, and it took me forever to figure that out. Um, thankfully, I figured it out before I died. That would have been tragic, <laughs> being on my deathbed going, I wish I would have. <laughs> yeah, so thankfully, I figured it out. You know, yeah, so, it, you know, le- better late than never, I guess. Right. What was it? Um, but. Um,
0: what is, um, I mean, just briefly, the life of a band director. I mean, I, I can mention three or four who changed my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And who, if not for them. You know where would I be? Honestly, sure. they were that important in my life. Um, but they're if I think about what their day must have been like—oh my gosh! Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, there are several challenges. One is every school is different. The schedules different. Um, the 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 personalities of the of the the parents are different. The the environments different. The administration's different. So, it's almost like luck of the draw to find yourself in a situation as a band director where everything kind of clicks. And, and, you know, to your point about, you know, the influence, my high school band director is still my number one influence in my life. Okay. I give him all the credit. Yes. You know, for um, really, you know, giving me the formative years you know in high school
0: yeah
1: you know to have the wherewithal you know to know which way is up in a lot of situations musically and
0: um let me ask you this. but
1: as far as like the the daily schedule
0: yeah let's say let's pretend you were in an ideal situation
1: ideal situation yeah and
0: if this is you know if you want to move on we can but i was just wondering like let's say you had an optimum situation what would it look like what
1: would the best band director position look like? Oh, gosh.
0: Um, <laughs> and you can just dream big, you know? Dream
1: big? Yeah. Well, you don't have to do any after-school rehearsals.
0: Right. Everything
1: you have is in the school day.
0: Yes.
1: So you could have a class period of concert band, a class period of jazz band, a class period of percussion ensemble, a class period of marching band, and a class period of maybe something else. And that's your day, you know? And, you know, if you, got, if you have to play at football games, you assemble your kids an hour before to run through the show because again, you have marching band as a class throughout the school day. So you don't have to have night rehearsals. You just get together an hour before the game, you run through the show and then you go, you do the show and you're done. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, you don't have to have Saturday rehearsals. You know, you can have a life. You can live, live a life outside of work. And you know, the whole work life balance, that's been like a thing for, that's been talked about in the entrepreneur space for many, many years. And there's not much of a work-life balance when you're a band- full-time band director, especially at the high school level. It's a little easier when you have middle school because you don't have marching band and all that. But yes, to be able to just show up, do your job, and leave yes. at the end of the day, yes. like a regular 9-to-5 person would do in most cases, right? Um, that, that would be the ideal scene. Okay. Um, it, you know it, That would be like the dream band director job. Oh, plus, plus you have all the financial support you need. You don't need to do fundraisers, you know. Um, everything the school gets for you—that what you need. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. And I have to admit, I, I do sort of have that now, because I do teach one band part time at a school here in town. Seriously. I do.
0: That's I do. great. Yeah. That's really cool.
1: I teach at Montessori Academy in Brentwood. Okay. Yeah.
0: I was trying to think if I know someone who goes to that school. It's possible.
1: That's possible.
0: I may have a student that goes to school there. Okay. You, might, you so, have to let me
1: know who it is and if I know him or her. Okay. Um, but that is probably as close to the ideal scene as one could get. Yeah. Because, um, well, it's part-time. So I just show up, I teach my class, and go home. Yeah. I so, have an extremely supportive administration. Okay. And I, I do get outfitted with just about everything I need to be successful.
0: Great. There. Is that grades one through six?
1: This is grades 4 through 12. Oh, okay. For the band. Wow. Yeah.
0: And it's probably pretty small, so you can yeah. really show attention to everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. You, it's like,
1: my total band enrollment is, I have, like, 31 kids in the whole band.
0: Okay.
1: Which is actually big for the school. Sure. Uh, up until this year, the biggest band I had was, like, 21. Okay. But it, but it's grown.
0: A growing program is growing a sign program. of success.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole school is growing. Okay. The whole school is being successful. Cool. So it's a good environment to be a part of. Everybody's really supportive. All right. You know, I've got good facilities. There's a whole separate fine arts building on campus.
0: Nice.
1: You know, you're not doing concerts in a gymnasium.
0: Fantastic. Yeah,
1: like there's, you got got the choir room and art room on one side of the building, and then you got the band and orchestra classrooms on the other side of the building, and in the middle is the big auditorium for concerts and plays and... Whatever else goes nice. on. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. <laughs> that's great. Can't complain. Yeah. Can't complain.
0: Okay, so that kind of worked out.
1: It worked out. And again, because it's part-time, Yeah. I can still have a life outside of that that I can design that's not ruled by the school calendar necessarily.
0: Right, right.
1: That, that it was before. You know, but it was really around 2012 that I finally realized what was wrong, and I knew I needed to make a change. So okay. I quit teaching full time at the end of 2013.
0: How did you do that? Was that had to been was that kind of scary?
1: A little bit, a little <laughs> bit, but but um, it, it was something that I just I had to do. Yeah. For my own sanity. Gotcha. I had to do, and um, so I actually I started my private lesson studio in October of 2012. Okay. So, I, I knew that I had something there that I could do something with. Okay. So, I had found another way to make money.
0: Yeah.
1: Doing something I was fairly good at.
0: And what were you teaching? Piano. Just, okay, piano. Piano. No drums?
1: No, I have drum students now, but okay. it started out as just piano students. Okay. Um, and then, you know, the drum enrollment. I've got a handful of, of drum students now. Okay. Uh, as, as well as, as, as the piano. But that grew, you know, in five years. Finally, it was like around mid twenty seventeen. It took about five years to grow my lesson studio to the point where I was making significant enough money at it that I could pay most of my bills. Gotcha. Doing that, you know. So in between that time, you know, I had to I had to take some, you know, other other work. But for the most part, um, you know, I I that that it that bought me time. Yeah. To. To build the lesson studio,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then the other cool thing that happened was um, in in twenty fifteen when I was able to get involved with Rubik's Groove.
0: Okay, and that's a band.
1: That's a band, and that's a funny story in and of itself too. How that all went down. Um, Go for it. Oh, you want me to tell you? Sure, okay, if you So want. yeah, if you want. Okay. So so okay. So rewind back to like. I want to say June of 2010, I answered a Craigslist ad.
0: And you're living in Nashville. I was living you know, in Nashville, so yeah. We,
1: we moved here in June of 2009. Okay. So I've been here 10 and a half years. Okay. Um, it's taken me forever, really, to settle in. I still don't feel like I'm totally settled in yet, but I'm getting there. Um, but anyway, so, so I'm in Nashville a year, and, um, you know, always looking for places to play. And... Um, I answered this Craigslist ad, June of twenty ten. This band looking for a keyboard player turns out to be Rubik's Group. So I call up the guy that posted the ad, one of the two owners of the band, slash male lead vocalists, and got you know, got in conversation with him, you know, we had it was, you know, good good talk. Uh, went out to see him one of their gigs, you know, they're a lot of fun. Talked to him one other time after after I'd, you know, been to the gig to tell him what I thought and everything like that. And then Right after that, it was kind of like radio silence. I hadn't heard anything. Um, and I also didn't pursue it either, and I perhaps should have, but it might not have mattered because what I came to find out was that a friend of theirs, somebody they knew, ended up getting the keyboard spot. So even if I had pursued it, they might have given it to this other guy anyway because it was a friend of theirs. Right. Um so okay so but then fast forward to september of 2015 one of the side jobs that me and my wife had um was doing this photo booth gig where we would bring this mobile photo booth to parties wow and set it up and where you know so the party guests would go in there and get their pictures in the photo booth
0: cool
1: um so my wife was scheduled to do a photo booth gig that she couldn't do because she had a scheduling conflict so I did the gig in her place and it was down at the Crockett um, Park, the Cool Springs house there in Crockett Park. Okay. And it was a wedding gig and Rubik's Groove happened to be the entertainment at the wedding. And I'm going, okay, this is fate. <laughs> I've got to step in. i got to go up to this guy and say something. So I went up to the guy that I had talked to the five years ago Yeah. and reintroduced myself to him and... Um, showed him that I still had his number in my phone and everything else. And finally, he connected the dots and remembered who I was. Um, and now by then, they had moved on from that other keyboard player and had a different keyboard player. But it worked out that they were looking for a backup keyboard player because their they had, band had grown and gotten to the point where they had so many gigs that... Um, They needed backups Mm -hmm. in case one of them were just to wear out or needed, uh, had a schedule conflict because they were playing like every weekend. Um, So they, we made sure that we stayed in touch this time. And then I went for audition and the rest is is history, as they say.
0: So you've played with them for four years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's been awesome. It's been awesome. (laughs) And a good moneymaker, too. So, you know, finally in like August of 2016, I was able to finally consider myself like gone from the whole nine to five world and was able to really create my life schedule wise the way that I had wanted to for many, many years. Um, So the only the only schedule I had to adhere to was the Montessori gig, which actually came about then in August of 2016. It was like the, the stars aligned for me. Because that you know, kind of gave me a steady income base, yes. And then I could build around that. So between the, that and my lessons and Rubik's Groove, and any other odd gigs that I might pick up here and there, Yes. Um, I was in a good spot. And, uh, and then I, I was also finally afforded the time to grow my own personal singing songwriting career. finally.
0: I was just going to ask you: uh-huh. Were you writing songs, or even you know, music for students all this time, or is this a, is the writing a new thing?
1: It's not a new thing. Um, I remember writing. Excuse me for a second. Sure. Hmm.
0: We're grabbing a drink, y'all. <laughs> yes.
1: Only water, though. Only water. Not that kind of drink. Get your mind out of the gutter. Though, um, so if, if you have a rum and coke.
0: No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're in my teaching studio, so. <laughs> uh,
1: oh, yeah, so that's verboten. No alcohol allowed. Yeah. <laughs> no alcohol allowed. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? What did you ask well, me about? Oh, songwriting. Yeah, so,
2: like well,
0: you know, it doesn't, even, it doesn't even have to be songwriting. Music writing. Like, um, yeah. you know, when you were teaching band, did you have the opportunity to, like, write ensemble oh, yeah. stuff? Oh, absolutely. So,
1: or, like, even as a young yeah. piano student, I have sheet music of stuff that I wrote. I have one sheet somewhere, and it's probably in the piano bench at home. But it says "Prelude" on it, and you can tell it's a totally a child's writing. And it maybe it's might maybe like four measures or eight measures. Yeah. You know, but um, there there's stuff like that. I remember as a junior high kid doing song parodies, mm-hmm. where like I would take a pop song and I would write my. I would take the music and rewrite the lyrics to have something to do with the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs. Because I'm a huge Cubs fan. Okay. So I have a couple of those songs. Um, But then I started getting into arranging. Yeah? In in my teens, uh, late teens, um, I started doing uh, arranging work. Um, And I started out, well, let's see, probably, it might have been more in my early 20s that I started doing that, um, and in college.
0: For? And in college. Like
1: so, so really, I guess in college is when that really took off. Some of it was because I had assignments in class where we had to take a piece and arrange it for certain ensemble. Right. Uh, but then that kind of grew on me. So, like, before I knew it, I was arranging... You know, I, I had a. There was a song that I arranged for jazz ensemble for the fun of it, and actually got a group to perform it once. Um, and 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 it just kind of kept going off, off and on. Um, there gotcha. was. It wasn't like something I was doing regularly. Although I have that, I still have a desire to. Uh, you know, do more of that. Just don't really have the time right now. Right. Lots of pieces I composed also like that are more in like the classical vein. Okay. But like for concert band or something like that. Right. You know.
0: How would you um, write that out? Did you use um, like a notation program or mm-hmm. you, okay, which one? Finale. Okay.
1: So when I was a sophomore in college, a buddy of mine introduced me to Finale,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it, at, at that time it was like Finale version one or two. Right. This was nineteen ninety one. And so, he showed me how to do a few things on it, and um, it was hard to learn how to use it first. Yeah. But then, in 1994, after I graduated college, I bought my first um, edition of Finale. It was like Finale 2.5. You had, you know, the three and a half inch discs. Right. It came on like four of those, or eight of those, that you had to put in the computer to install it all on the...
0: Yes. ...on there.
2: Yes.
1: Um... You know, so so I've been a finale user now for almost thirty years. Twenty nine oh, years. Wow. Um, since well since ninety one when I was introduced to it. Okay. I know. Can you believe nineteen ninety is now thirty years ago?
0: I can not believe that. Is no. that is that true? Yeah. It's twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, wow.
1: Yeah. It's 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 scary and depressing at the same time. It's like am I really that old? Damn it. <laughs>
0: Time flies when you're having fun.
1: It does. It does. You know, so I've got all kinds of arrangements and compositions on the computer. Some are finished and some are not. Okay. And I need to finish them.
0: And you do all these in like your spare time? When, like, yeah. At,
1: okay. If I have any. And
0: some are for band and some,
1: yeah, and some are for... Yeah, I've, I've written for... You know, just over the course of my career, I've been in positions where I've had to write for various ensembles. Mm-hmm. I even in, Even when I was still living in the Chicago area after college, I played in a Motown band. And I did all the horn arrangements. Okay. So I've done that. I've written for choir, jazz band, string orchestra, full orchestra. Wow. You, you know, concert band, marching wow. band.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And did you write the field shows too, like the the um, the movements?
1: <laughs> I've done a little bit of drill writing. Okay. Not my yeah, not drill. my not my area of expertise, but it's I so
0: much to be a band director. It is. So, so much.
1: It is. You know, um, unless you can pay other people to do that for you. Yes. A lot of the competitive high school band programs, they'll pay people to write the music and write the drill for them. Sure, sure. And they customize it.
0: What were your favorite, like if you, if, what were some pieces, did you have any pieces that you absolutely wanted your students to play in concert band that you felt were just very edifying for them? Or? Oh, I have a list. I'll, I'd be I have a list. If, I mean, if you don't care. No, I don't you know. care. I know we're not talking keyboards right now, but I'm a band
1: geek. Oh, you are.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. it's
1: always good to find fellow band geeks oh, to talk yes. to. Yes. yes, let's talk shop. <laughs> let's well, talk shop. I'm just
0: curious if there were any like pieces that you know you program just about every year. Yeah, Because the kids need to play those because they're so important. I know my bandwagon had a few like that.
1: There are. And, and, and I have not been able to reach that point yet at the Montessori school because the, the, the instrumentation isn't quite there and the kids are not quite old enough yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so... Uh, but, okay, so back to ideal scene. So, Al- <laughs> Alfred Reed, Armenian Dances Part 1.
0: Okay, yeah?
1: I like that. I gotta do that one. Okay. That that's you know this is like this bucket list of band pieces yeah. that that you got to do. Yeah. Um Oh man, that that's a huge list. I have um marches. Yes. I like marches a lot. Yes. Love marches. Yes. That's an important part of our heritage and and I don't hear a lot of bands other than I mean the military yes. bands are, and community bands are you always going to do marches. Mhm. But a lot of contemporary bands don't, and I think that they are doing their students a disservice by not programming marches.
0: I totally agree with
1: you. It's it's a huge part of our heritage, and it needs to be... Not that bands should be museum pieces, but you should not forget where you come from.
0: Well, they teach balance. Yes. They teach articulation.
1: They teach everything.
0: They're great. They teach everything. Great you know? And so
1: what if the French horns, all they do is go... D- 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 <laughs> d- you got to learn how to keep time somehow.
0: Yes. Right.
1: Yes. You can't just all be the percussion. Well, it
0: teaches accuracy too. That too. Those, uh, that too. those pitches can be hard to. Right. To not sh- right. Sh- <laughs>
1: You know, so it's like I, I had, you know, would love to be able to, you know, do the Stars and Stripes forever after every concert.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, apart.
1: Right. After you know, at, if I got, I've got to have the horses to be able to play it, um, not not quite there yet. But man, like I said, I have a list that's a mile long. That, that's just two of them, to name a few.
2: Sure. Um,
1: but there, there's so much cool music out there. And, you know, standard standard repertoire. Yes. You know, and, of course, you know, depending on, on the concert, if there's a theme for the concert.
0: Right. Or not.
1: Right. But... Um,
0: I remember my director, we did, we did the um, Morton Gould Symphony for Band one mm. time. And, you know, we were terrible, but... I've never forgotten that Piece that Piece was great. It made such an impact on me. Oh
1: yeah, it's a great piece. And a
0: lot of the John Barnes chant stuff, like yep. the Incantation of Dance and mm-hmm. the Holst Suites. The Holst Suites, yeah.
1: That's standard rep right there. The Holst Suites. You know, there's the the Ralph Vaughan Williams. Yes. You know, he's got that the there's an English folk song suite and then Toccata Martial. Yes. That he wrote. Toccata Marcial is cool. Um Man, oh man.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, we don't have to stay on that, but I just was curious, you know, what you'd say. Oh, you know?
1: if, I, if I think of more, I'll blur them out. Sure, go for it. I'll blur them it. out, because it, <laughs> it's fun. I love talking about this stuff. I don't have a lot of friends in the band world here in Tennessee, so it's nice to meet a fellow band geek I can talk shop to.
0: Absolutely.
1: And talk ba- band literature. Yeah. There's just so much music. You can't fit it all in.
0: No. You
2: You
1: just You just can't. And even like, you know, the contemporary composers that are writing music for band nowadays that will be looked upon 50 years from now, um, you can't keep up. You know, they're just, they're cranking out so much music and a lot of it's really good. You know, um, you just, you can't possibly play all the music that there is to play.
0: Right. Because kids take a long time to get comfortable with one piece. Yeah,
1: yeah. Although we're working on the theme song from the Avengers right now in our band. And the kids, they've only had it for about a week. And they've actually pretty much learned the piece at this point. You know, it helps when it's something that they want to learn, that they're excited about. And half of them know the piece, you know, because they've seen the movie anyway.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, so when you program stuff like that, usually they learn it faster. Yeah. Um, But we're we're, we're getting close to the point where we can start maybe... um, Scratching the surface of some of that standard literature, David Holsinger is probably my all-time favorite band composer. Okay. Um, and it it's it hasn't been for 25 years that I've been able to program a Holsinger piece.
0: They're hard. I think. Really or hard. or
1: maybe 20 years, just because I haven't been in the position to do it. Like I haven't had the kids, the playing ability. Right. Um, to be able to do it, but boy, he's written some killer stuff. Um, when I was in grad school at KU, I got to study with James Barnes, the composer. Do you know his work? I think so. Yorkshire Ballad. Okay. One of his well-known pieces for Young Band.
0: Did you study composition with him? Yeah. Okay.
1: Composition slash arranging. All right. Concentrating on band. Gotcha. So that was cool. Yeah. That was cool.
0: So you're one of these people who has a toe in many, many pools. I okay. do. I have my
1: brush in many different colors of paint.
0: <laughs> what is the main repertoire of Rubik's Screw, for instance?
1: Eighties and nineties.
0: And um, I know you guys do jump. I've I've seen you. I've actually seen you play once. Aha. Um, at only once. Shame on you. I don't think you were on that. Day, <laughs> and I'm not sure why.
1: <laughs> well, there's two um, keyboard players, so it might have been the other guy.
0: Oh, okay. So you don't. You guys don't play at the same time.
1: Rarely. We'll do... Okay. okay, so, like, the six shows a year that we do at 3rd and Lindsley, we'll play all together. Because there's two guitar players, too, that switch off gigs. Okay. But when they have... And and there's there's two female lead singers that switch off gigs. But on the big shows, they'll have all ten of us. So when we do 3rd and Lindsley,
2: okay.
1: they'll have all ten of us. Okay. When we do... Like, we did New Year's Eve at the Gaylord Opryland. We had all ten of us up there. And... Um, Every now and then, some other gig will happen, like um, Crockett Park during their in Brentwood their mm-hmm. summer concert series. That's a big enough gig that they'll have both keyboard players, both guitarists um, play.
0: Okay. Yeah. But
1: most of the time, it's seven people: the okay. three lead singers and then the four rhythm section: guitar, bass, keys, and drums.
0: The time I saw you, uh, you were playing at Top Golf, and. Um, Stephen Shepard, he's a friend. He's a high school yeah. friend of mine. Yes, was yes. Sitting in on bass. Really okay,
1: nice. um, I did one top golf gig with them. That was November of 2017. But if they played, and that was uh, up on the terrace outside. If you saw okay. them inside at the Cowan, then no, would have been the other. Yeah. would have been the other keyboard player. It
0: was. It was at the Cowan.
1: Okay, yeah. So. No, that was that was my counterpart, Edward Scissorhands.
0: Okay, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, and the band dresses. Yes, and we're
1: all characters.
0: Okay, what is your character?
1: I am I am a Ninja Turtle, Teenage Mutant Ninja oh, Turtles. Okay, Leonardo DiTurtolo. <laughs> That's me. Okay. Yep.
0: It's, does that make it challenging to play?
1: <laughs> no. Okay. Not for me. Not for me. It's e- it's easy to play. I don't have I don't have to wear gloves or anything on my fingers. Gotcha. Yeah. So okay. it works out. It works out good. Yes. Matter of fact, we got rehearsal tonight. As a matter of fact, cool. so I go from here to a recording session for my own music to Rubik's food rehearsal for learning new songs for the next big show.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, what? Well, oh gosh, where do we go from here? Um. So, <laughs> what are what are you learning tonight? I'm just curious.
1: Let's see. So we're adding. Uh Straight Up by Paula Abdul. Okay. Uh, Five Hundred Miles by the Proclaimers. Alright. And um, Your Love by the Outfield. We're adding those three songs oh. to the repertoire.
0: Sweet. Yes. Yeah, nice. All that
1: good all that good music. You know, that's where all the good music is. It's in the eighties.
0: <laughs> that room was happy and people were dancing their butts off that yep. night that I saw it. Yeah. You
1: know, yeah. if I could go on a rant a little bit. <laughs>
0: <sighs> About the eighties?
1: About music. And, you know, like, there's a reason why that music still resonates with people. And I don't think it's still just with us old folks. You know, I think there's some young people out there that get it, too. You know, Bob Seeger, old-time ro- rock and roll, he called it. When he says in there, today's music ain't got the same soul, it doesn't. If you listen to pop music now...
0: Do your kids like it? Do they listen to pop music?
1: They do. They do, um, you know, and I'll listen to what they listen to and go, really? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that. That's the best you can do, <laughs> really. I'm sorry, you know. I I made a promise to myself several years ago that I was gonna, you know, not criticize fellow artists because I wasn't always that way. Sometimes, you know, especially when I was younger, you know, you hear something and be like, oh, that's crap. But you know what? Some people like it. It can't just say that it's crap. Now, I say that. There are some music out there. Let's face it, it's crap. But that most people, I think, would would think it is crap. But I'm not going to criticize a person that's out there trying to do something creative. You know what I mean? Um, People are going to criticize celebrities all the time.
0: It's a young person's business. Pop music, at least.
1: It is. It is. And um, and again, you know, you're always going to have those people that that you know criticize the the celebrities and all that other kind of stuff. But I've I've learned not to do that because you know what they're that's they're just out there trying to make a living, and that's what they've chosen to do. And I'm not going to fault that for wanting to be a singer. Right. You know, it's it's more so like the the. I think it's more just like what the record industry pushes those people into doing. That's more the problem. Interesting. And you know that my my two cents for whatever right. whatever that's worth. You know, there's some talented singers out there. there. There's some nicely auto-tuned singers out there, but there's also some very talented singers out there that right. I think could probably have a better time of it. But there, but I think some of them are under the thumbs of the record companies and the other. Business entities, yeah.
0: agents, radio, yeah,
1: all all that kind of jazz. I mean, look at look at Kesha, for example. You know, or Sarah Bareilles, you know, both of who wrote songs after they finally got out from underneath the thumbs of their record labels. Wrote songs um, about that experience that they had mm-hmm. being being in that industry. Right. Um, maybe not the healthiest thing for them. But the music that's being churned out by, by some of those, I mean, I guess it's selling, you know, or I guess selling, meaning like people are streaming it. Right. Because right. that's how it works now. Right. Okay, fine. You know, it's getting radio airplay. Okay, fine. But it, are they really putting those singers in the best lights? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, even if you, you know, when you listen to Ariana Grande, you can tell she's good at what she does. Right. You can tell she's damn good at what she does, but I think those are far and few between.
0: Right. Singer singers.
1: Yeah. Um, but 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 even the music, it just seems there's an emptiness to it. These days, you know, just listening to what my kids are listening to, and then comparing it to the music that I grew up with. There's something missing.
0: You have to stuff. dig deeper. I do think yeah. you can find it, um, but it's in—it's all indie. The, yes,
1: yeah. That's where—that's where I think the better music, the the better music, music. Right. You know, and I'm not saying you know I'm not saying you know music for musicians. You know, there's there's music for the masses that's out there that's not on the radio that could appeal to the masses if it was. Right. Right. You know. Um, I kind of went off on a big tangent and, there. And, and again, I'm not trying to be too overly critical. right? Why, I am opinionated on, on this stuff. Why and do think, you think
0: it's not out there? Is it It's just money?
1: Yeah. No. It has to be. Right. I think nine times out of ten in any industry, doesn't matter what it is, it's a follow the money situation. Who stands to profit the most from whatever the product is? You know? Um I think there. I think there's something to that, and I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist, and I think some of it's not just theory. I don't want to get you know too off the deep end. Deep end with some of this stuff, but right. I don't know a lot of stuff. You know, it's just head scratchers on some of it. You know.
0: I just found a new band. You know, in fact, um, played a gig last last week as a hired gun with a band called Broken Champion here in Nashville. Okay. And they they write their own material and. Nice. Um, it was fun. Yeah. And um, I enjoyed it. Um, and the, you know, the guitar player, um, sent me his, one of his playlists from Spotify that's just stuff that he just likes to listen to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm just listening to it last night and I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is really cool. Wonder if all of us could, could we make it this a thing? You know, can we all come up with Spotify lists or whatever, Apple Music or whatever, you know, is your thing and share it with each other and, and like get, get an undercurrent going of Stuff that we like that, you know, there's no other way we would hear it unless that our friends recommend it. And, you know, I was able to mention some stuff to him that I'm listening to. Uh, somebody who was on the podcast last week. and Well, actually, she's going to be on. She's the next guest featured. Um, she has a band in New York City, and I've been, you know, listening to them a lot. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I ever would have come across her music. And I actually had an interaction with her face, you know, person to person. I mean, we weren't face to face because we were having a phone conversation. But I mean, human being to human being,
2: mm-hmm.
0: passing music together, talking about it, actually sitting down and listening to it. Like, the, you know, not watching a like video Like back of in the it. old days.
1: <laughs> right. That's how we used to do it. I was just thinking that too, because like even like most of the new music that I get exposed to is the music that my fellow singer songwriters are making.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's good. I mean, my peers are good at what they do. Yeah, we're all independents. Yes. you know, and and probably nine out of out of every ten of us won't see commercial radio. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's because it's not their game. I don't know what their game is, but I just know their music is good. I have several friends that. Um, you know, like I'm either on their Patreon page or I'm on their email list or whatever. That are independent artists, just like me, doing the same thing that I'm trying to do, and their music is good. They're talented people, and their music is good. And um, that that's how it's spreading. It's it's word of mouth too. You know, and so like sometimes one of my fellow artist friends, I will learn of a band or artists through them. Just word of mouth. It's just like how it was growing up through school. Have you heard the latest album by such and such? Yeah. You know, you start listening to the same records that your friends are listening to, and that's how that's how I got into Genesis was because I went to summer camp with a kid who liked Genesis. And I'm like, oh what's that? And so I got this Genesis album called Invisible Touch. I'm like, this is great. What else does this did this band put out so then a few months later i picked up a copy of three sides live and i'm going holy shit this is fucking amazing yeah pardon my french <laughs> but i'm i was hooked
0: mind blown
1: mind blown <laughs> right yes double period mind period blown period exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly and i was like okay so then i went down that whole rabbit hole mm-hmm. and we started in the beginning we we're talking about prog rock and yeah. so then I I proceeded to get every Genesis album that was ever made, right. and um, and and just kind of went on went on from there. Um, I, I I to the, to that end, I know one of the questions you sent me before the the getting together was like the the first song, one of the first songs you ever learned how to play on keyboard. Yeah. Axel F.
2: Okay. Remember that one? Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. I had I had. Is it like a? Yeah, that, that's the one.
0: I can't reach it, but yes. Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> yeah. the one. Yeah. Um, from Beverly Hills Cop. Yes. And so uh, when I was I was in eighth grade, I got my first keyboard.
0: Okay, what kind was
1: it? It was a Casio CZ5000. CZ5000? Yep.
0: Okay. Now,
1: I that was another question on your list. What was your first professional keyboard? I wouldn't exactly qualify this as a professional keyboard. It was designed to be... But it never was. Um, And I'm kicking myself to this day. Because when I I had the opportunity to get my first real legit keyboard, I looked at that one. And then I was also, you know, my my dad would take me around to music stores. Um, We'd go shopping. And uh, one of the music stores, they were showing me this Yamaha DX7. And, of course, we all know now. What a classic the Yamaha DX7 became. Right. You know, as a 13-year-old kid, I wasn't thinking with that. Yeah. You know, I saw that, and I saw this Casio, and I was like, well, this Casio one, I think that one seems a little cooler to me, so I bought that.
0: Okay. But, well, what was cool about it? I mean, obviously, was, there, was it the synth sounds?
1: Yeah, I had what I thought were some pretty good sounds on there.
0: Um, um, you know, I listened to your uh, the song. i don't mean to get off track, but like I was, you know, kind of checking some of your stuff out this morning, just thinking about my conversation coming okay. up with you, and I listened to your song "New Year."
2: Oh, uh-huh, okay.
0: And the synth solo—it's yeah. like um, Genesis a little bit. It reminded me just a little bit of like the "Follow Me, Follow, follow You." Follow you, follow
1: me. Yeah. yeah. You follow me, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: the, a little bit. Yeah. And just the voicing and the way that it fell, the testuro of it. I guess you know. Yeah. I, I I'm using that word because I think you know. We're um, both kind of from the same world, in a way, Right. um, that school thing. But just the range of it, the way it felt, Mm -hmm. reminded me of a Genesis. So, like a Tony Banks thing. Yeah. And um, so I was just kind of curious. You can tell that
1: influence is there, for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, the Casio makes me think that there was something in there that was making you... Like, it sounded more like what you were into.
1: Probably. That's probably what it was. Like, it had a good patch for Axle F. and, And, you know, then the next one after that was... I mentioned the three sides live album they there's a song on there is called in the cage medley and there's a huge keyboard solo there's actually two or three keyboard solos in that tune Uh, but the one the one that got me is something like this Like that cool. and and that was like the first real legit keyboard solo I learned how to play okay on my keyboard
0: using yeah uh, like an album you had a record I like a, Not a record. record off the app al- off the turntable. yeah so you're just like putting the needle back and learning four or five notes at once
1: no I think I listened to it so many times okay that so, by the time I I had listened to it that number of times I could do it
0: okay it's in the E-flat, y'all. He's playing an E-flat major scale. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of a uh, chromatic, uh, well, arpeggio. Yeah, so E-flat
1: e flat scale. And then some little licks. Okay. And then he goes in the E-flat minor. goes on. Now we're in now we're A flat minor. Chords in there, and then, and now we're in B flat, and then there's some chords. comes back in and awesome. and and it's in B flat for a while and then it goes back into E flat after that and it's just like
0: man, Tony right? Banks he just does not he's man. Get, he does he's he does not get the kudos he deserves
1: no no that's, not at all that's
0: some serious great oh stuff. man I, mean, I could it's
1: very serious shit there and 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 there's I want to
0: Bach there's Stravinsky in there I mean I really hear both of those kicks.
1: I was just thinking and I wanted to point this out to the listeners it's like there's a there's a, there's benefits to being classically trained even if you're going to be a rock keyboardist which i consider myself primarily that now
0: right
1: but having that classical training is huge because you can do so much with that information it just becomes part of your musical vocabulary and that's what i try to teach my students
0: yes
1: you know um that's this is why we're doing scales and all this other kind of stuff so you have that musical vocabulary even if you want to go do some other style yes you, you just, you have to, you have to have those fundamentals in place. Otherwise, you're going to be lost. You're not, you're going to, you're going to do something, but you're not going to know the underlying thing about that, What is you're doing.
2: Yeah.
1: And the more you understand about what you're doing, you know, the, the easier it gets. Now, I say that, it makes you think of music theory.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: Now, I have a very unique opinion on music theory. Which is more along like the Duke Ellington philosophy, which is if it sounds good, it is good.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean.
1: I think, there's, like, I think theory is as good as it can be practically applied. Right. And I don't think you need to go any farther with that. And there's a lot of guys that get analysis by paralysis. (laughs) Paralysis by analysis (laughs) with music theory. Right.
0: You're twisting yourself into a pretzel basically trying, I mean. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. What what am I going to call this? Right. Five of whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'll scratch the surface of that stuff with some of my students.
2: Sure.
1: But, and I, I had a kid last night, we were doing a little bit of that harmonic analysis, and I was like, this is about as far as we need to go. Just so you have a basic idea of what's going on. You know, you should be able to get through the rest of the piece. You know, just having this initial, you know, first four measures we did. Right. And it's like that's enough. We don't. We don't need to keep going down that rabbit hole. That's what college professors are paid to do.
0: How many students right. are you teaching right now?
1: Fifteen or twenty.
0: Okay. And so, when do you write every day?
1: Do I write every day? No.
0: Do you practice every day?
1: What's the name of this show? <laughs> Conventions of a Keyboardist.
0: <laughs> um, no,
1: I don't practice it's, every day, and most, I should.
0: It's really hard for us sometimes to get that fit in.
1: It, it is, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, if I if I have to practice, then I practice. In other words, if I have a show coming up, a performance, a rehearsal, whatever it is, if I need to practice, I'll practice.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, if I, you know, if I need to run through something for a gig, I'll, I'll, I'll practice. Um, you know, there's always that. Should you practice every day? Well, of course you should practice every day, um, but I've found too that um, it's a matter of priorities. And when I need to prioritize practicing, I will.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, and when I don't need to practice prior prioritize practicing, sometimes I need to practice prioritizing too. <laughs> but when I don't when I don't need to to prioritize practicing. I'll work on my music business, and that gets the priority. And so, like it shifts, it goes in like cycles. I hear you. Yes. You know, as I give it an example, like last week I had some extra time, so I was able to do a little bit of both. I was able to practice for a show, and I also had time to work on my music business. Well, I'm busier this week than I was last week. So I don't have as much available time. So I had to pick and choose. So yesterday I worked a little bit on my business. This morning I practiced. Right. And I didn't work on my business this morning. So it's just to do what you can. Right. With the hours in the day. Yes. You know, and and be okay with that. And for the longest time, and, and again, you know, maybe it's just something about getting older and wiser. Maybe that cliche is actually true. I don't know. But... I found in recent years I've gotten to be more okay with not um, squeezing everything there is to possibly squeeze in in a given day.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: At some point, you have to say that's it and stop. What you, you have to find where the off switch was. And for the longest time, I didn't know where that off switch was. Right. And no, no matter how much I accomplished, it wasn't enough. Yeah. It was never enough. Yeah. And I was like... I gotta, I gotta rethink this, cause I, th- last fall I was, I was worn out. Yeah. I was worn out. I was also very, very busy with Rubik's Group gigs. I had more Rubik's Group gigs last fall than I had up to that point. It was great. It was fun. We were going. I, I got to go on some road trips with them. We got to go out to San Diego and do a gig last October. It was awesome. Nice. But I was getting tired. I was getting tired, you know. So like. Right when I finished my crowdfunding campaign for the last album is when the Rubik's Groove gigs started to pick up, and I was busy up until Christmas. Yes. Finally, it's slowed down a little bit, and I've got, again, more time to work on my solo career, but man.
0: So you're wearing many hats very, as a musician. Very, very many hats
1: as a musician, yes.
0: What kind of keyboard are you playing on your current, when you play with Rubik's Groove? I
1: got two. I have a Chord Cross two. Oh, now, if you want to talk gear, I'm a gearhead, too, so we can talk about that, too. I love talking about gear.
0: Well, I just think it can Um, be helpful sometimes, you know, um, depending on the gate that you're in, your needs change.
1: Yeah, so, um, and I've been through a handful of different keyboards, just like I've been through five or six drum sets until I finally got the one drum set that I'm happy with. Um, I'd like to tell you about that, too, but um, you asked me about the keyboard. So my main board is a Chord Cross Two. I had a Chord Cross 1, and um, I started having problems with the display screen. Hmm. So I had to get another one. Well, by the time the n- another one situation happened, they had come out with the version 2 of the key- of the same keyboard. Okay. Um, and I had so many songs programmed on the Cross 1. Oh, wow. That um, I needed to stay in the Chord family.
0: You mean patches? Not is it, It's not a sequencer, is it?
1: It does have sequencer on it. Okay. Um, but like, yeah, patches. Okay. Pre- patches and programs and layers of sounds. What they call combinations in the Korg in, gotcha. in keyboard is gotcha. com- combis. You have programs, which are the individual sounds, and then you can split and layer programs together for combis. Why mm-hmm. it's so many of those. I had like 130 or 40s oh, wow. pro- uh, combis programmed for Rubik's Groove tunes. For 80s songs. 80s and 90s, yeah, for all the yeah, Rubik's Groove yeah. stuff. Okay. I was like, I... Well, fortunately, you know, they're all backed up on a little SD card. Okay. But but I needed to stay with the Cross so it would be compatible. So I just upgraded to the Cross 2. And actually, um, it wasn't something I wanted to do because I didn't want to spend the money. I wasn't ready to have my keyboard go on the fritz. Yeah. But it was good that I upgraded because there's some cool features on the Cross 2 that weren't on the Cross 1. Like there's a lot more memory available for programming your own stuff.
2: That's
0: good.
1: And it has a sampler on there. Oh, nice. A, well, so it's got like a keypad on there. It's like eight different pads. Okay. So you can... And and like uh, eight different banks of stuff. So uh, I can like record a sample and then assign it to a pad and then just press the pad and then it plays back the sure. sample. So that's come in handy a couple of times. So like like sometimes I've done like in my own solo shows, I'll do covers. Yeah. So, like, I covered Phil Collins' Susudio, right. and I sampled the drum beat, the drum loop, and I sampled that. So, like, I looped that in my keyboard and played along with it. It's pretty cool.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Um, so, but I but I don't do much of that in, in Rubik's Groove. I sampled a couple things to use in Rubik's Groove, like a horn fall yeah. and another sound effect thing for right. one of the songs, just off-the-wall stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> That's my main board, and then I have a Roland D fifty. Okay. Uh, a throwback from 1987. I actually didn't buy my D fifty until uh, 2013. Got it for significantly less than what it would have cost me in 1987. They were about eighteen, nineteen hundred dollars in 1987. I don't know too many sophomores in high school that just happened to have an extra eighteen hundred bucks lying around.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I certainly couldn't afford one back then, but I could. I, I was able to afford it. Six years ago, and that's come in very, very handy. It's got a lot of great sounds, and and for a 32-year-old keyboard, it still sounds amazing, even by today's standards of production value. I
2: love
1: it. And what's what I mentioned to you? One of the songs we're learning tonight is "Straight Up" by Paul Abdul. Yeah. That that opening lick that dun 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 dun. Yeah. Dun 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 dun. That was the keyboard used on that, the horn sound. What it's number know? 15.
2: Wow. <laughs> that
1: was the sound used. I looked it up. I looked up when uh, a couple of years ago, I looked up what songs used the D50, and that was one of them. Interesting. And then I played that patch. I'm like, you're right. That's it. That That's the sound. That's so uh, that kind of cool.
0: It's really cool. So
1: I have this authentic 80s keyboard to kind of help the vibe. Yeah. And I've got my modern keyboard to do everything else that I need.
0: Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. really great.
1: It's fun. But that's actually not the coolest piece of gear I own. The coolest piece of gear I own is called a uh, Voice Live Touch 2. Okay. It's made by a company called TC Helicon, and it's a vocal processor. Okay. But it also harmonizes with you.
0: Interesting.
1: It's super cool.
0: Do you use it on any of your records yet? Um, Maybe you should
1: actually funny thing is um, on on the first album yes I did record with that
0: okay you've actually brought me a copy of this yes today.
1: yes that's my gift to you nice and um, so there there's a couple songs on there where I use the the uh, the vocal processor on to, to do harmonies for me um, on the last album the more recent one that I put out last year I recorded all the harmony parts myself okay in the, in the studio yeah little Bit more authentic,
2: right?
0: Got, gotcha, but still, it's, it's a nice effect, I think.
1: Oh, yeah, it's fun. And when I do like my own performances, um, I'll bring out the, the vocal effects box and, and use that on my own shows
0: when right. I'm performing
1: live or live streaming somewhere.
0: You, um, I've seen you do that um, on Facebook, you'll have like a, a session where you, yeah. Wow, tell me more about that. How did you I mean, how did you come up with the idea to do that? To again? do what? To to like do a concert on Facebook.
1: Um so in in uh, September of 2016, I plugged into an online community called the Music Launch Hub. Okay. Um, the founder of that group is a guy by the name of Steve Paul Freeman and he's an Australian dude that put together what he called a Music Launch Summit, which was he interviewed about sixty or seventy people in the music industry throughout the world, different aspects of the music industry. Wow! Um, both, you know, on the on the artist side and on the business side, and um, more on the business side, you know, because because his target audience for this series of webinars is us artists. Um, and so I, I signed up for that, and I started watching all of these. Um, webinar videos um because it like the timing couldn't be better I, it, it was right about the same time when i was telling you earlier in the interview that i was um i'd finally arranged my life to where i had the time to pursue my solo music career and then this happens it was like the stars all aligned so i plugged into this music launch summit watched all a bunch of these webinars got to know steve a little bit and so like and at some point, he issued a challenge. Like, if you if you did Facebook Live 30 days in a row, I'll give you a free one-hour consultation over the phone.
0: So, okay. I did. Okay.
1: So, starting in November of 2016, and, you know, half, half of November, half into December, because it was 30 days. That's just where the calendar fell. I did 30 days in a row of Facebook Live something. Mostly, it was playing a song or two. Okay. And that's how I got started. Wow. And um, it's, a, it's a blast. It's a blast. Yeah, I love it. I'm going to do it again this Friday. I did it last Friday. I, I decided I didn't do it a lot in 2018 or 2019. Um, 2018, I focused more on fan growth, growing my email list and all that stuff. 2019, I focused more on get, just getting the recordings put out. Um, I did a few couple live shows here in Nashville last year, but... Nothing. Nothing too major. This year, I decided to go back to, um, you know, trying to do more of my live streams on a regular basis. Yeah. Showcase my work. Um, do
0: you let people know when they're gonna be, or do you just do it whenever you want to?
1: Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes I'll just get on there. Sometimes I'll announce it beforehand.
0: Okay, so t- just it's depends. Um, all right yeah and people just watch and comment or yeah um, Yeah. and you have like a tip a virtual tip jar virtual
1: tip jar and a link to the Patreon page
0: okay Okay. so it's like um, you're you're finding a way to get some more income coming in somehow without the use of a record company basically
1: yes it's all about the hustle really you know it's uh, so I don't know if you've heard the term musicpreneur yeah but that's yeah. basically what we are. We're wow. musicians and we're entrepreneurs. Yes. You know, and that's why... And and you'll hear people say it from the stage. Like, when you, if you go to something like the CD Baby Conference or South by Southwest, which I've never been, but I can imagine it's the same thing. You know, you have to learn the business side of the music business. It's called the music business for a reason. There's the music and then there's the business. And if you are wanting to be successful, you have to put in some work. And you have to learn, you have to take it upon yourself to learn how the business side of the coin works, okay? Nobody is going to do your career for you. They're too busy doing their own career. Right. Okay? You've got to figure out how to do your own career and not get screwed over in the process because you're uneducated and trust the wrong people.
0: So this particular section of your career is your works of art, your your compositions, your performances, mm-hmm. and how, how you want to see your music um, shared or distributed among people, basically. Mm-hmm. What do you? What's your ideas for doing that? Are you? Do you want to do like? Um, would you? Do you want to do more recordings for starters? Sell those recordings or?
1: Yeah, I I I enjoy the music making process. I I like working on my mixes. I like doing all that kind of stuff but I also love performing
0: are you um, going to a studio for somebody to produce you or are you just doing it all yourself
1: I go to a studio a friend of mine his name is Cray he actually um, another good story he I met him he became one of my private lesson students back in mid 2016 Um, young adult was looking for some... He graduated from Belmont with a degree in audio engineering and was looking to increase his piano chops. Okay. At the time, he was playing in a band as a guitarist, but there were some songs that required keyboard work, and he was assigned to handle that, and so he wanted to get better as keyboard chops so he could do a better job for the band. And so we, we stayed together in lessons for about three years, and um, I when it came time for me to up my game, because that first album, the one I gave earlier, that I did all that by myself except for guitar stuff. I hired out most of the guitar work.
2: Yeah.
1: I think there's maybe only one or two. Let's see. I think I listed it here. Um, I played acoustic guitar on one song on this record. The other ones, I hired out my friends to do guitar for me. Because that's one instrument I really don't do. Um. But the rest, I did all myself. So I did all the drum programming, the bass, and, and I just sang all in my you know, spare bedroom at my house. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: And keys and acoustic guitar.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, just on that one song. <laughs> I will never profess to be a guitar player. I can hold a guitar with the best of them, but I, I, I'm, I can play some basic chords. But don't ever categorize me as a guitarist. I am not that. But, um, so for the next album, I decided I needed to up my game. So I started going to Cray's studio to record my vocals. Okay.
2: Because
1: he has a know-how to get your vocals to sound like you when you hear them on commercial recordings. Sure. He knows how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And I'd rather, you know, pay him to do that than invest the time to learn how to do that myself because I just don't feel like I have the time to go down that rabbit hole right now.
2: Right.
1: Um, so I'm glad to pay him to do that for me. And I still do... Um, the rest, um, hiring out guitar when I need to, but still doing the, you know, playing in all the keyboard parts and the bass parts and the drum parts. Right. And and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, so yeah.
0: Would you like to, um, I know I saw, I went to your website Mm -hmm. and I'll share all the links to that, you know, in, um, in, in the podcast section of the, of the website. Um, but I noticed that you, you know, have the house concert section. Mm -hmm. So you're looking into getting into doing house concerts. I would
1: love to. I would love to. You're you, you, you were talking to me earlier about when I was asking you before we started how you got into podcasting, and you were saying it's something that had been a recurring thought with you for a long time. Well, that's like with me with a house concert. It's like when I first heard of doing a house concert, it was from a friend of mine that I met here in town shortly after first moving. He's a successful singer-songwriter named Kevin, and he... Um, was the first person that I had heard from about this whole idea of house concerts so I was like so I I, I knew that was a thing and then just kind of over the years I'd heard of other people doing that and I was like you know that sounds like something that's right up my alley I gotta I gotta learn how to figure out how to do this so um, I bought a book um, there's a, a woman who lives in Washington state her name is Shannon Curtis she wrote a book she's one of the most successful people that I know of doing house concerts she will tour the country in the summer and fall and all she does is do house concerts and she wrote a book about how she did it and what her successful actions were and so I read her book and um, you know that's how I figured out like how to put together the information packet and everything like that and it's just something that I've always wanted to do and the only thing that I haven't done yet is pursue it with my full energy.
2: Right.
1: I sent out a couple of feeler emails about it, um, back in 2018, I think. Um, but it, it, it wasn't enough. Like I, I didn't get a lot of response back. And I think probably uh, a lot of it is just people don't know what, what that is or that, that kind of thing. It's a kind of a new, might be kind of a new concept for most people. Um, and it's something, and even Shannon says in her book, you got to email people a bunch of times before the light bulb goes off and they realize, oh, I should probably think about this. You know, and I never got myself to that point. It just right. I hadn't made a priority, but I would love to do half shows. I would absolutely love to do that. I just feel like, like that's my thing. Like playing in front of live people and making those personal connections.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's important to me. That's what music is supposed to do. Right. You're supposed to connect with it. Right. You know, uh, on some emotional level. Right.
0: And are you an extrovert? Would you classify um, yourself that?
1: For the most part. It's, it's interesting you bring that up, too, because I can introvert with the best of them. Right. Um, and it's I'll get, a mix. Yeah, it's a mix. Um, I'll get in a mood sometimes, and my wife will tell you. I'll get in a mood where you just leave me alone. Right. I don't want to be with anybody. I don't want to be near anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. You know, just leave me alone with the TV or the, whatever it is I'm doing. But I'll, but I'll snap out of it, and, you know.
0: I just ask that because you know, in a house concert situation, you're in a small room with a large group of people, or you know, 20 people, and you yeah. know, you really they're relying on you completely yep. to lead that show. And it's very intimate, you know. Um, it's you're telling personal stories, you're singing your songs, you're, it's you know, it's very much the. The the show is you. Yeah. For that hour and a half. Yeah. And then you hang for a while, too. Yeah. Talk to everybody, you know.
1: Well, I love hanging out with people. That's the thing. You know, it's like, and that, you know, it comes easy to me. Performing comes easy to me. And I think that's a benefit from having to do all those recitals as a kid.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I, I rarely get stage fright. Very rarely. That's just something that's never been a major issue with me. You know, plus if I can get up there in front of a, you know, at one one point I had a band of like 90 fourth graders. If I can get up in front of 90 fourth graders and be okay, (laughs) you know, I should be able to get in front of 20 adults and be okay.
0: You know, extremely hard work. 90 fourth graders.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we won't go there. I think
0: it is. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you know, but you know, and face, you know, doing the live streams too. You know, I've got a core community, you know, really small handful of dedicated friends that usually will join me on my Facebook broadcast and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll shoot the shit for a little bit and it's fun.
0: Okay. It's
1: fun. That's the thing. It's like, I don't look at it as some big thing. It's, it's
0: fun. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, It's helpful if there's that, that core, I think is, is really kind of key to the whole thing that they're really, you know, I mean, you, we need that. We need people that are really interested in what we're doing and.
1: Yeah, you know, some people call them super fans, other people call them advocates okay. for what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you stay in the game long enough, you will get some of those people. Now, I only have a couple right now. But if I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life, I'm sure that more will come as I grow.
0: Right. You, so you're about to put out your third EP, is that right? Well, your, Would you call them EPs?
1: Yeah, the first one definitely was an EP um, with six songs. This last one had eight songs, so it's uh, almost encroaching on full album territory. Okay. Um, uh, and that the, helps too, I think. Yeah. You know, if you
0: walk into a house concert setting and you have three recordings, yeah, um, yeah. you've got something to, you've got things to perform. You've got right. I've got
1: t-shirts too. If anybody wants one of those, but um a, a, I don't know when I'm going to actually put out the third album yet. I might wait a year. Because this year, I, I I think I would rather focus on growing my Patreon community.
0: Tell me more about Patreon. So
1: Patreon is a platform online that allows fans to directly support the artists that they like. And other creators. It's not just musicians on there. There's anybody that's creating anything... Uh, is is you know can have a presence on pod uh, on uh, on Patreon and, and probably does. I mean, there's there's podcasters that have a presence on, on Patreon.
0: Interesting. You know, look at that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um,
1: and so what you do is um, we kind of we kind of uh, explain it like how like when when uh, public television or public radio does like fund drives, like you pledge a certain amount of money per month. Okay. It's it's like a subscription service.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: They call it a membership platform. But it's basically like a subscription service, which this should be old news to anybody that's not living under a rock right now because you got subscription services all over the place with Netflix and Apple Music or Spotify or whatever it is that you sign up. Satellite radio. You know, it's a lot of subscription service. I mean, your cable TV and your phone bill is a subscription service, right? So this is not actually a new concept, but Patreon is a new thing in the music space um, because that's not how fans are used to consuming music. Right. So it takes a lot more to get people to warm up to that idea. Um, And you still only have like a 1% to 3% conversion ratio. Like if you take your fan base if you can convert one to three percent of those people on patreon you're doing well those are like the current numbers Wow um, but that's what it is you set up different tiers or levels um, so like if somebody joins and pays two dollars a month they get this if they join for three dollars a month then they get something in addition yeah if they do five dollars a month they get more and right. then and it goes it goes from there so the more you pledge per month the more rewards you get every month right. Um, and so it, it works that way, just like, you know, if you were like, when, when public television does their pledge drive, if you pledge this amount, you get this, uh, but then if you pledge a higher amount, you get the that plus this other thing, you know, like it might give, like, let's say they're broadcasting a concert, so like if you pledge at the bottom level, they'll give you a CD of the concert, if you pledge at the middle level, they might give you the DVD of the concert, sure. and then, you know, the higher level, you might get this whole merch pack or something like that. Right. The rewards kind of work the same way on Patreon. Yeah, yeah. But it's a way for fans to directly support the creators that they love without any middleman getting, you know. And they can just go directly. You know, and 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 other than the administrative fees that Patreon takes to run the platform, the artist gets the rest. So like out of like the money that a fan like in the old days like if you went out and bought a record, you know, by the time the distributors and the record companies and everybody else involved in the process gets their share, the artist gets what's left, which isn't very
2: much. Right.
1: By going direct to the fan, right. the artist benefits better.
2: Right.
1: And can has a better chance of being able to remain in the game and keep doing their art.
0: Yeah. Would you... That, that being said, you know, my mind the gears in my mind start turning. Uh-huh. Would you be willing, if someone wanted to commission a song... Has it ever occurred, like, you know, like, please write a song for my wife for our 40th wedding anniversary. Please write a song for my school. I need a theme song for, I don't know, for Homecoming.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Could you foresee that sort of thing?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's that's my $100 a month Patreon level.
0: Okay. So Is, you do have that.
1: I, I actually do have that. I don't have anybody signed up at that level yet. But, you know, it... it if anybody wanted to, they, they stay at that level for six months. I write them a custom song.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: Because <laughs> it yep.
0: just occurred to me that, yeah, that could be, that could be something.
1: Yeah. I, I, I place a high value on that because it is a definitely a high value activity. And there's a lot you know that would be involved in writing a customized song for somebody.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, you know, so I, I definitely place a high value on it. But... Uh, on the other side of the coin you know that person makes that investment I mean there's people that charge over a thousand bucks for a customized song yeah
0: I'm sure
1: you know um, or
0: more a lot of work or more
1: Um, you know I I mentioned I mentioned uh, Shannon Curtis a while ago the house concert expert Um, she'll do a whole album for you for ten grand
2: of customized
1: songs yeah oh wow yeah Um, interesting yeah but you know so for 600 bucks if you're willing to do that I'll write you the best customized song ever and then you have that to keep for the rest of your life
2: right
1: and over the grand scheme of life you invested 600 bucks you helped out an artist and you got this tremendous keepsake for you and your family Mm -hmm. that will last long after you're gone from this planet or at least your body's gone (laughs) <laughs> depending on how you believe. Right. Right? And you almost can't put a price on that. Yeah. When you think about it in the big picture scheme of things, right? And that's something.
0: Yeah.
1: Getting kind of deep here. Have, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Have you ever written jingles?
1: Um yeah, but for a class. Only for a class. Okay. I actually took Just a curious. jingle writing class. Believe it or not. Yeah. Yep. Um I'm just I took, curious. Yeah, online. Berkeley College of Music, online. I took two classes with them back in like 2011, 2012. One was basic, it was called Desktop Music Production for Mac. They taught us how to use Logic Express. Nice. And then um, the, the second class I, I took, um, it happened to be the same teacher that I had for the music production class. The second class was called Jingle Writing. Okay. I think he changed it the title of it since then to writing for commercials. But we literally we learned how to do music beds, we learned how to do voiceovers, we learned how to do different jingle formats. Um, it was quite interesting. I, I learned a lot, it was fun. It was bet. fun. Now, I mean I, now I've never done that like for hire. Yeah. You know, but
0: just curious. Yeah. It seems like it sort of falls a little bit in your wheelhouse, just a, a bit.
1: Yeah, it could be. I've just never I pursued it. But, but what I did do that's semi-related to it is, you know, during this time where I had, like, the transition years, you could say, from 2013 to 2015, um, I, I was on this freelance website. It's, it's, it's now called Odesk. It used to be called something else before that, and I don't remember the old name for it, but it's called Odesk now. And it's this freelance platform. You go on there, and you look for people that are looking for work for hire. Right. And there's plenty of people on there looking for music work. So I hooked up with a lady, another Australian, uh, named Judith, who had written a story that she wanted to turn first into an audiobook and then into a stage production for kids. Um, and she had wanted musical selections to go along with this audiobook. And so I put in for the gig and got the gig. And so I ended up writing... There were a couple of other writers that she used, but I ended up doing the bulk of the work and probably wrote probably about 10 different songs for this author who we've now become friends like pen pals we've never met in person yet but we still stay in touch through email and everything like that um and um so she had these lyrics and i set them all to music as if i was writing for musical theater which ultimately that's what's going to end up happening
0: i was actually going to ask you if you'd ever written anything like a musical or something or if you have any interest in that
1: yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be cool as hell. As a matter of fact, I, I've had some people tell me that some of my actual singer-songwriter songs uh, has a musical... They, some of them have a musical theater vibe to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: But I, have, I think but so I, too, actually. Huh?
0: I think so too. Maybe. You do? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe thanks. so. Yeah. Maybe.
1: And it stands to reason because, again, when I was in high school, I played in the pit for all the shows.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so I, I got... And and even after
0: which shows did you do? Do you remember? Oh,
1: let's see. Uh, I didn't really get involved until sophomore year. So we did Grease, we did Man of La Mancha, we did um, what's another one we did? Bye Bye Birdie, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. Just to name a few. Cool. Some really fun ones in yeah. there.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, and even I, I I was in the pit for a couple of other like local uh, stage groups in the Chicago area after college. One, wow. one group we did West Side Story. Another group also ended up doing um, Little Shop. I, I did Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah. In the pit for a production of that.
0: Wow. Um,
1: you know, so like, and, and I'd also, you know, I'd gone to see plays and, uh, you know, like Fatal of the Opera and Les Miserables and Miss Saigon. And, mm-hmm. you know, I I, I, I hung with, with, you know, friends that we, we were all into that stuff back then. Okay. You know, and and um, I've also you know had to direct pit orchestra for a couple of shows like um, Into the Woods and uh, Anything Goes, which is absolutely hilarious. Hell Quarter, yeah, yeah, that show's hysterical. Awesome. Yeah, uh, so I, I've had experience with with that genre, right?
2: Right.
0: You know, um, it's tough, but uh, you know, I mean. I think it's very expensive, <laughs> you know, to try to put on shows and write yeah. shows and, and get them put on. But, but yeah, I could sort of see that. I really could.
1: Maybe maybe someday down the road. I mean, I hopefully still have a few more good years left in me, knock on wood. Yeah, um, definitely. Who knows? You know, once <laughs> I once I've exhausted all of the songwriting possibilities, you know, who knows? I mean, didn't Paul McCartney... Uh, eventually find himself into writing more classical stuff didn't he write an opera at some point yeah
0: or a symphonic suite or something I something like that yeah That's, that seems right
1: yeah it's been so, a few
0: years but
1: you know it's like the like say, same with the guys that will be actors for 30 years and then do you know something else in the arts like you know do music or something like that so you know maybe mm-hmm. I do this singer songwriter bit for another several years and then sh- you know once I've you know, finally making significant money doing that, I could take that and invest it into some other aspect of the arts.
0: I hear you. Yes. Yeah. It's a it's a statement about versatility, right there. Yeah. Uh, it's a, It helps. It helps.
1: Yeah, I'm, um, I've been blessed. I've been very blessed. You know, as far as like an art, it, being in the arts is concerned.
0: Right. Right. Well, guys, John, thank you so much. I um. Is is there anything else you want to cover? Um. I'm thinking. Get you to play something? And, yeah, I could play something. Um, that'd be great.
1: Um, anything in particular you want to hear? No.
0: <laughs> do, you, do you do better with requests? <laughs> uh,
1: sometimes, because uh, like, I have a lot I could pos- potentially choose from. So it's like, you know, what, what more, like, if you wanted to hear something slow, fast in the middle, something that's a little bit more pianistic, or something that's just a little bit more poppy. It just depends. Like, I've got different styles.
0: You know, I, I think just something that you would really enjoy would probably make me really happy. Okay.
1: right, I'll do one. Whatever you kind of feel like. All right, I've got one. I'll do here. Um, This is a song off the first album from 2017. It's called "Don't Tell Me." It's a breakup song. Okay. Typical breakup song with with a bluesy flavor. All right. So, oh, I better take this off. I gotta take my watch off. Otherwise, it just gets in the way. You ever have that? Oh, I
0: never wear. I can't wear one. Can't wear
1: rings. Oh goodness. Okay. Well, I can keep the ring on. So Alright, let's see. Let's see if I remember how to play this. The piano I mean. No, I'm just kidding. Alright. Done, ladies
0: and
1: gentlemen, <laughs> glad you enjoyed that. That's the fun one to play. It's a fun one to sing and
0: play. Nice job. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having um, me.
1: This was a blast.
0: Oh, an I, absolute
1: blast. I enjoyed every minute of our me talk. Me too.
0: Thank, Thank you. you. It's um, it's really rewarding for me. It's been it's a labor of love.
1: Indeed. So. As is music in general, sometimes <laughs> isn't it?
0: Very much so. Yes. Yeah, John Maddox said he was here. Maybe two months ago, he said, um, any time you spent in your life playing music, it doesn't count against it.
1: Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I nice didn't think about it. Yeah, and, and we need to keep putting more art out into the world to balance out everything else that's going on. Oh. We really do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We really do. And it's, it's valuable. What we do is important. Yes. What we do as artists and creators is important. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about, um, you strip away everything else. Look at, look at civilizations that have come and gone. What's left? their artwork.
0: Interesting.
1: Think about their it. their buildings. Like their buildings, their artwork in the museums across the world. That's what's left is their creations. We are creating for the generations that come afterwards. We, that's what our legacy is going to be, is our creations and what we leave behind for those people.
0: Nice. Yeah. Rock and roll. <laughs> there you go. All right. Cool. All right. Well, uh, have a, go have a great recording session and rehearsal tonight with your band. And Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate I'll it. I'll see you around town, I'm sure. All right. Thanks again, Amy. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too.